This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Well.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington, and I don't know about you, but I was a huge fan of the Metal Shop Masters series on Netflix, and I was a big fan of this week's guest on the show. I ran into Ivan Eiler when I was at Fabtech and finally got a chance to sit down and chat with him. Ivan talks in this week's episode about his musical past in a band called Thump Keg, how his life has changed since going on the show, the types of projects he likes to do that let his creativity soar and getting into bronze learning from a master in his own right roger smith from michigan art castings who has had work featured in the smithsonian institute on february 4th our friend dabs wellington is hosting a welding competition at american welding academy that is a huge benefit to high school seniors the pipe welding scholarship what kind of things could that open up for you in the future what kind of value is this going to add to people's lives well i can speak from a place of value because i didn't go to a welding school being self-taught i got into the welding industry at just about a dollar over minimum wage depending on where you're living on missouri i don't even know what minimum wage is right now but i know you can work at mcdonald's for 15 dollars an hour i started my welding career at seven dollars and 30 cents that was now 20 years ago but if you look back journeyman wages and stuff like that years ago were still even $25, $30 an hour. And you can't get journeyman jobs unless you've got uh, journeyman skills. I did not have those skills when I entered industry. Our students do. What does that mean for our students? That means versus minimum wage, majority of our students can earn six figures in their first year. So these AWS and ASME recognized qualifications are what jobs are asking for students to drive across the country and be able to test out on. They're not going to take your word for it. They need some paper trails to prove your level of equivalency. And that's exactly what what these certifications are doing to where these employers know before these students ever hop in their trucks and drive across the country that they're going to most likely pass that test and be able to gain employment at a much higher level than I was able to as an 18 or 19 year old man because they have got some proof of what they're capable of. Currently, I hold one stick cert, but other than that, if it was not for Instagram and people seeing what I'm capable of on paper, I'm a joke. You know, it's, it's completely true. Most of these students leave here and would go to the top of a stack of applications where I would be buried at the bottom because I don't have a lot to show physically. Do you want to introduce yourself to the audience just in case they don't know who you are or what you do? Sure, yeah. I'm Ivan Eiler. I'm a metal sculptor, just a, an artist in general, I suppose. Where are you based out of? I'm based out of St. John's, Michigan. It's yeah. cold right now. It is a little cold, but it's actually not too bad right now. <laughs> I saw your video where it was the first snow of the year. And I grew up in Colorado, so I love the snow. I live out in North Carolina, and we what they call snow here is is a dusting where I come from. <laughs> sure, yeah. Where are you at right now? I mean, Greensboro. It's uh, it's like right in the middle of the state. People don't really know oh, about okay. it, but it's it's third biggest city in North Carolina. Oh no, kidding! Nice. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. St. John's is probably the fiftieth biggest city in Michigan. <laughs> it's small. I kind of jumped around a bit. So, you know, I mean, I was, you know, born in Petoskey, but I lived on Drummond Island until I was five. But I spent a lot of my time growing up out in New Mexico and then came back to Michigan. So I was born in New Mexico. Oh, That's, were you really? Where? Yeah, in Albuquerque. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. I lived in uh, Truth of Consequences in Socorro. <laughs> oh, cool. In October of 2019, I got flown out to play in Santa Fe and I'd never been to Santa Fe before. That's like my dream now would be to live out in Santa Fe. Nice. Oh, hell yeah. What do you mean you, you were flying out to play? What do you play? I do a lot of like Americana singer songwriter stuff. And then I'm in a blues really? rock band. I'm in like a Southern rock band. I, that's, that oh, was dude. my life before welding was just a hundred percent music. So. Oh but, my God. Oh yeah. Well, we need to get together and play sometime. That'd be a blast. What do you play? Well, a few different things. I play guitar. I mean, the bands that I was in, I played bass and fiddle, but Oh, that's but, awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, once upon a time, started a punk rock bluegrass band. We called it Thumb Keg, and it was just a short-lived thing. But yeah, we had a lot of fun. It sounds like that would be kind of up your alley. We just took a bunch of old bluegrass songs and added a drum kit and, you know, basically played them like uh, punk rock songs, but 
Oh, yeah, that's it was, awesome. It was good. <laughs> yeah. So from Metal Shop Masters to now, your life is probably very different. Now you have a different avenue in life with your sculptures and everything. What has your life been like since the show? Well, actually, I'm still kind of working all of that out. But essentially, I mean, you know, with anybody that does anything, whether you're a musician or an artist, sculptor, painter, whatever you do, one of those things where you're always looking for recognition. Those are ways to get yourself out there and get your work recognized and be able to make a living doing what you love. I was already building a lot of like large public sculptures, but there's a lot of things that I want to do. I haven't really been able to do and I'm working myself towards. So it's helped out in a lot of ways. Just the recognition from being able to do that has yeah, pushed me in directions where now I've got a lot of people, you know, know who I am. So I can start to do the things I want to do. And there's a market for that. So it's not just going out and bidding on jobs for these large public pieces, but I can build things that I want to build. And there's people there that are willing to buy this stuff now. So it's, it's changed a lot in that direction. But more so, really, the biggest change has just been realizing that I need to get myself out there more. I figured putting my nose to the grindstone and just working away was the way to get ahead. But even just going to Fabtech for the first time in Chicago last year, I knew about Fabtech. I used to build motorcycles and stuff. And so I've always been a fabricator. So it's been something that I've known about, but just never participated in. And even in going to that and meeting people, talking to people, actually starting to network with people, it made me realize it's something I should have been doing a long time ago. And without doing that show, I'm I probably never would have. That's the funny part. Me coming from an entertainment background, going into the fabrication life. I worked at a fab shop and the guy that was running it, I was, was like, man, you got to get yourself out there and market this. And he was like, I don't really know how. I'm like, well, just show people what you're doing. Show people what you love mm. to do. Show them what you're capable of. Start a conversation. And I feel like that's something that fabricators and welders have kind of a disconnect with. Social media, sure, we're showing our side of what we do but it's a way of having conversations with people through your artwork and yeah, absolutely yeah that was one of the questions i had for you too was who is ivan your artwork it speaks for itself but at, what i really okay. wanted to know was more of you as a person because your artwork is very raw it's very honest and usually to create that kind of work you have to be the same kind of person you know like you seem sure, yeah. like a very honest genuine guy like you know what you want and you know who you want to be and it comes across through your social media but what led you to this kind of lifestyle well first off i'm glad to hear you say that now, one of the things that i get <laughs> time and time again and i'm not really sure why because i can't pinpoint what it is that i'm doing but i've had a lot of people who've met me and said like oh you're a very nice and genuine person but a lot of people seem to not get that from what i'm putting out in social media which i don't really know why I'm not naming names but even when i got on that show there was people there who were looking at my social media before they met me and a few people even there on the show said oh i, th I thought you were going to be kind of a douchebag <laughs> <laughs> and, and so so i'm not sure where i'm getting that point across to people but just try to be myself and just you know show people what i'm doing what i'm working on you know try to uh, keep the social media stuff mostly about my art you know i'll play songs here and there because it's something that i did once upon a time and then people started requesting things so i just kind of kept that going on saturdays i haven't done that consistently in a while but trying to just put myself out there and you know it's hard putting yourself out there as a creative person because another thing i wanted to talk to you about was subjectivity when you are making any kind of art subjectivity comes into play but one of my favorite parts about welding is that there's not as much subjectivity when it comes to just making structural manufacturing. There's not subjectivity. It's either right or it's wrong. But when you're making art and sculpture, you have a lot more wiggle room with what's right and what's oh, yeah. wrong. Have you ever Absolutely. Have you ever done a sculpture for a client where your eyes didn't meet, like you didn't meet eye to eye on the vision in the end? Oh, um, absolutely. Not on the vision in the end. It was usually more along the lines of, you just have to trust me. You know, doing it artistically, it's one of those things where I don't want to just build something that somebody else has designed. So if somebody comes to me with like, this is exactly what I want, I don't want to build that. It's more like, you got to give me some artistic freedom to be able to actually build you what you want and just trust that I can pull that off because otherwise I'll just 
turn them on to somebody else. Sometimes I get that where people will get a hold of me with a request and it's like, well, you have this completely figured out. You don't need me to build this. Anybody can build this and it might be more affordable to have somebody else build this. So just go that route. But if, you know, if somebody gives me the ability to put whatever I want to put into something, that's where I thrive. That's where I enjoy what I'm doing. So being able to have that freedom to do that so far, knock on wood, I, I haven't had anybody, <laughs> uh, you know, at the end be disappointed in what I've done. But yeah, I, I definitely require, you know, a little bit of artistic freedom. And it's one of those things too, where like you said, if you're doing something and it's fabrication, there's a right way and a wrong way. And this looks good or this doesn't look good. When it comes to art, it's something that me and my buddy used to say to each other back when he uh, was working with me. We'd always say, you can't do art wrong, but it can look like shit. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's true. Yeah. So it's art. It can't be wrong, but at the same time, you kind of have to let it build itself, you know, let it speak for itself. And as you start to build something, you're coming off a concept. So I never really figure anything out exactly. I get an idea, I get close. And I say, this is kind of what I'm going to build. But once I actually start to build it, you can see things where it's like, okay, this needs to be changed a little or tweaked a little from what I was originally thinking, because now that I can see this aspect of it, it would look better if I did this instead of that. You have to allow things to be able to kind of change as you build them. I mean, for me anyways, everybody's yeah. different, but... Yeah. How did you find your voice? A lot of people in the art world, you'll find your voice, which is just kind of that signature style that's all your own. And your your style is a very signature style where you could tell you did it. Oh, and thank you. How did you find your voice when it comes to your sculptures? I mean, really, in all honesty, I hadn't really thought much about it, but I guess I would say that just from building what I wanted to build, there's always something out there that's going to inspire somebody, that's going to make somebody go, okay, this is what I want to make. And as long as you're following that, I suppose that is your voice. And so it's just something that you find along the way. And I wasn't really necessarily looking for it. It was just, this is what I want to build. So it's what I'm going to build. And, you know, as you start to do that, I, I suppose it just develops into whatever it's going to be. Yeah. It's a very difficult thing to find. A lot of people worry so much about what other people want them to be in life, I feel mm, like. I feel yeah, like that's the yeah. struggle most people fight with. But when you start just saying, you know, this is who I am, this is what I do, you start yeah. to just really thrive in life. And I guess it comes with age, you know, age and experience is going to lead you oh, down sure. that road. But Absolutely, yeah. Sometimes people just have that, that moment where it's just like, oh, that was the exact moment I found my voice, but... You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of jumping back to Fabtech, you said you went in Chicago, but I saw you at this past Fabtech. What was the experience like for you this time? Oh, it was great. Yeah, this was actually the, uh, I mean, this was the first time that I actually got, you know, flown out and put up in a hotel and, and everything through a sponsor. And it was through Quantum Machinery. And it was one of those things where before the show came out, I didn't even know that a sponsorship was a thing. Yeah. You know, I was doing what I was doing. I was just going through the paces, making things I wanted to make and trying to find a way to market that so that I could continue doing what I wanted to do. But when I got on the show, it was actually Tom and Ray. They both already had a bunch of followers. They had sponsors and they started talking about that. And we were just sitting in the green room together and it was like, okay, wait a minute. What do you mean a sponsor? Yeah. Like, oh, these companies that we get our products from, but they give us products just to say that we're using their products. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saving up pennies to buy yeah. used equipment. And you're telling me like companies will just give you brand new equipment just to tell people you're using their equipment. So that was a whole new a whole new ball game for me. And that was actually another way, you know, going back to what you originally asked me, it was a whole nother way where I didn't really, you know, know the kind of path that, that all this would lead me down, but it really has made a big difference. And yeah, I got flown out by Quantum Machinery. They're, they're a great company and they put me up in a hotel, took me out to dinner and it was just to come here and hang out and be part of this with us. And it was, yeah, it was a really amazing experience. To be honest, it was the same experience that I had in Chicago, but just didn't have to uh, find a way to get there myself. And it was, yeah, it's things have been really great but Fabtech uh, this year was much bigger than the one in Chicago you know the <laughs> pandemic really yeah yeah definitely it was like it was like <laughs> open the floodgates we're gonna have a bunch yeah. of people yeah that was yeah. A, there were a yeah. lot of people there like yeah, I, it was it was big yeah a majority of my time I spent just talking to people. I saw everybody walk by, but I really wanted to chat with people from all over the place that were there to 
try to understand. I didn't know what to expect when going to Fabtech, so I wanted to kind of shine a light for people that have never been, the types of people that go, the things that people are interested in looking at, because it's overwhelming going there. Like, if you you (laughs) go there without a plan, you're going to just kind of spin your wheels because there's too much to do, you know? Yeah, it's wild, yeah. So, wait, you said, was this your first year going then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, first Oh, really? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I never even would have guessed that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we I mean, had a great setup. Even just walking by, what you guys were doing there, that was yeah, it was awesome. I'm impressed. <laughs> it was fun, man. I, that table, yeah. it was uh, Mr. Sawblade Head Sean. He makes videos for Well.com, but he's just as an awesome sculptor as well. I don't know if you've ever seen his stuff. Like outside of that table, he he's done a bunch of stuff with like rock and roll musicians, like Kiss. He built a tank oh, that nice. shoots fire, and then he what? he's done like these Tree <laughs> of Life drum drum stands, like really cool stuff. I'll I'll shoot you That's some. Really cool. I'll shoot yeah, you his profile yeah, so you yeah. can check it out. Yeah, I'd love to see that. No, I had no idea. I did, didn't even uh, didn't even realize that was part of what you guys were doing there. At Fabtech, I know you were getting, you know, it's like there's a bunch of people that wanted to talk to you constantly, you know, and I've talked to a couple different people that are more kind of influencers, welding celebrities, so to say. And they were saying that Fabtech is hard for them because they have to be at certain places. And as you're walking around, you got people stopping you nonstop that want to just kind of chat. Did you kind of find it was easy for you to walk around? Did you did you have a hard time? No, no, I, it was easy for me. I mean, it's different for everybody. You know, I had at one point I was at a car show. I was there and there was a friend of mine there. And, you know, I had somebody stop me as I was, you know, pulling out and they you know, wanted me to like take a picture with their grandkid who was a big fan of mine from the show. And, and so, uh, you know, I got out of the truck and we went back and, you know, we took a picture together. And then, you know, my friend said to me, like, oh, that's got to get old. But everybody's different. Everybody's like aspects of how they they deal with social interactions are different for me it never gets old like that was great like yeah. <laughs> that to me, to me that was like one of those moments where it's like this kid's gonna remember this and i remember these moments in my life growing up and so like this is like to be the person that somebody wants to get a picture with or wants to talk to or wants to have an interaction with like that feels like an honor to me so i i did never gets old like i could walk around there and get stopped by every single person and enjoy every minute of it i love it yeah. that's that's awesome i feel like people kind of get jaded when it comes to you know you start getting success and people are just like oh i don't i don't have time for these these regular folk you know it's like (laughs) i i've always been kind of i've never had like a superstardom success with my music but you know i've had like you're just saying like those kids that come up like i played this one festival in bell buckle tennessee where you know there was there was like maybe like 15 people listening you know but there was this one kid just he was so into it and it started raining so i was like come get on stage man and he like came up brought his little chair and just sat right on stage as i sang the rest of my set you know yeah and it was such like he was so enamored (laughs) and it just you could see it was something he would love to do someday and just to yeah. be that person where someone you can inspire yeah. someone to want to do something you know yeah. i think that's it makes my heart happy every time it happens you know absolutely yeah yeah totally does yeah it doesn't get any better than that yeah it feels like uh yeah it feels yeah i mean like i said before like an honor it's like that's yeah those moments they're they're worth their weight in gold yeah. they sure are that is that is the word right there i have a question it's a personal question Okay. All right, shoot. So you wear this welding cap all the time. I do, yeah. When did it get (laughs) adopted into your personal style? To be honest with you, it was before I started my motorcycle shop. So I started the bike shop in 2009. But even before that, I was fabricating, building bikes on the side. And I used to cut the brims off Mm -hmm. my bicycle caps. There's actually uh, an article that I got in a magazine in 2007. And it's me wearing this uh, baseball cap with the brim cut off. It was just to make them fit under my welding hood. And then just one day I was at the welding supply store and I found this particular cap. And yeah, started wearing it. And then it was just like, okay, well, it's thin, it's cotton. 
and I can toss it in my back pocket, fits under my welding hood, but it also is like a comfortable hat to wear and easy to just stick in your pocket when you don't need it. So it just was something that I just started wearing all the time. And then people started to recognize me <laughs> because of the hat. So yeah. it just, yeah, it became like a, <laughs> it became a thing, but it was really just because it's a comfortable hat and it fits under my welding hood, but it's also just easy to carry around. So it was, yeah, it was just a love for the hat really more than anything, but happenstance, you know, just people started seeing me with it. So it just kind of became a thing, but it's really just because it's a comfortable hat. <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, see, that's, see, but that's like the weird kind of questions I have in the back of my mind. You know, I'm just like, all right, I like this hat, you know, because there's all kinds yeah. of styles of welding caps and everything. Oh, sure. Yeah. But that, that style, I don't, I've seen like maybe like two or three times out and about. Like most people, yeah. That one looks great. Looks like it's got some padding and everything in there. Yeah. But I've yeah, never sure, tried yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. They got, yeah, great padding, thin. Yeah. You fold it up, stick it in your back pocket. And yeah. A lot of times with welding caps, you have like the, the beanie that's kind of sewed up like a baseball cap. So it yeah. comes to a point at the top. Then you, you would wear that backwards so it shields the back of your neck. You know, whereas with this one, it's got the seam right in the back. So a lot of people, when they see the bill on the front, they don't realize that that's like, that's there to, uh, you know, to keep that band from giving you like pimples across your forehead for, oh. uh, you know, the same, the same reason. So this one actually does have a seam in the back, so it's not worn backwards, but a lot of people see with a bill in the front and they think, oh, he's, he's got it on backwards, but the bill is actually for the band, for the, you know, for the headrest. It's not, it's not worn backwards. It's just a different style of hat. I had no but, idea, uh, man. I had no yeah. idea. That makes yeah, so much sense. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. You just blew yeah. my mind. See? Yeah, it, learned it was new. literally just, it was the only hat that they had at the shop at the time. And when I picked one up, I was just like, I put it on and I was like, oh yeah, that, that feels right. And so I just kind of kept it. <laughs> I was actually thinking, cause I do leather work and stuff. So I was thinking about, you know, cause sometimes I go out to, you know, nicer events and things and uh, I'm always wearing the same hat, you know, and I got myself like a, uh, like a, a fancier hat just just to wear a hat for uh, fancy occasions which was like a like a felt fedora type of hat like an old gangster looking hat but it doesn't really feel like me so i was thinking like maybe what i'll do is i'll take and uh, just cut one of these hats apart and and make a pattern out of it and make one out of leather for uh <laughs> there you go to wear to fancier events when i'm not welding but you're, you're going don't out a hat. i don't the classy hat yeah, <laughs> yeah the classy the hat. Class yeah it's like the top yeah. hat for welders you know yeah. Well, it's one of those things too, where like everybody's different and everybody has an opinion. And, you know, sometimes people have a tendency to just hate on things if they feel a certain way about it. But for me, like the idea of having a hat that I wear that people notice me from a distance and go, oh, that's got to be Ivan. Mm -hmm. Like, I like that. So yeah, the idea of having like a nice fancy leather hat that looks just like my welding cap, that seems like funny and clever to me. So I like the idea of that. But yeah, I'm not always wearing a hat, but typically when I am, yeah, I like uh, I like the idea that people can recognize me for it. So. Oh yeah. When you're developing a brand. Yeah, you, you got something. You got something and you, you have something <laughs> and it's just a question. I've always wondered, you know, I was like, I was yeah. like, I wonder like how long this, like how long ago this stuck, you know, because. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just a random thing. That's awesome, though. And I never yeah. knew about the. I didn't know that that served a, a purpose. I need that. I definitely need one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I mean, and it would be the same thing as wearing like a regular beanie that you would just pull down on your brow, yeah. you know, and then have the, the back flap for your neck instead of having the back of the hat going down over your neck. But it's a good hat. And it's actually, it was uh, it's Kamau Caps. And the funny thing is, after the, after the show came out, I called up because that's when I knew about like all the sponsorship stuff. And I thought, well, maybe they'd be interested. And they, I think they would at least like to know that their hat was on a Netflix show because they're a company. They, they're trying to market and brand their own things. So I called them up and I just said, hey, you know, my name's Ivan. I wore your hat on the show on Netflix if you want to use that for your uh, marketing at all. And the person I talked to was like, oh yeah, sure. And and I never heard back from them. But then this year when I was at Fabtech, I was sitting at a bar with Frank and Luis and we were just sitting there hanging out and this guy walked up to me and was like, hey, I like your hat. And I was like, so do I. <laughs> and just kind of laughed about it. And, and he goes, I actually make those hats. That's my company and i met the guy oh that's awesome I, yeah i met the guy from kamau caps and they're like yeah like and then i told him about the show he didn't know about it told him like yeah i wore this hat on the whole show i called you guys and told you and he had no idea and uh 
yeah, so that was, uh, it was really cool just to be able to meet the people that make the hat that I wear. And that's the whole thing about being at a place like Fabtech is you've got every walk of life when it comes to fabrication. You've got all the best of the best. They're all showing you the newest and latest and greatest and the technology and equipment that they offer. And everybody's there. And they're all just there just to hang out and meet and greet. And it's really something spectacular. If you haven't gone, that's, uh, yeah, Fabtech is, is definitely a... It's fun. It's a hell of a thing to see. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Back to back to welding. Back to welding. We got to talk more yeah, welding. Back to welding. <laughs> we do. Yeah. We yeah. It's a welding podcast. Sure, that makes sense. <laughs> How do you find inspiration in your sculptures? Well, when it comes to things that I'm building because I want to build them, the inspiration literally just comes from things that I want to do to try to surprise myself. Everybody has this thing in their minds when they're a creator or an artist. It's like, all right, what do I want to do next? What do I want to create? What do I want to see? For me, all those questions boil down to ways that I can create something that I don't think I'm capable of creating. So the idea for me is, what do I want to do? What do I want to make? What do I want to put out there in the world? That is there that I'm not sure if I can do and then try to do it. So my inspiration a lot of times literally comes from just wanting to see what I'm capable of, you know, push the envelope. For me, the difference between good and great is realizing that you know nothing. Everybody out there thinks they know everything. And you just, it, well, it's like, it's something that comes out, I imagine, when we're teenagers, you know, every teenager yeah. knows everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then you get to a point where you realize, oh, I don't know everything. And if you're lucky enough, you get to a point after that where you realize, oh, I know so much less than I could ever possibly learn. So... At this point, I just want to know and learn as much as I can. And you just chase that. You realize that you know nothing and you just try to find where you want to know and how much you want to learn. And you chase that down. And that's that's literally where a lot of my inspiration comes from is like, I just have an idea. So it's like, I want to build this. I want to create this. I want to do it in a way that I'm not sure is possible. And then try to see if it's possible. And if it's not, then find another avenue. Try to make it possible. Try to do things that I've never seen before. Try to do things that I'm not sure if I can do. And by constantly chasing that, it pushes you in directions that you never would have even thought about going in the first place. So for me, the inspiration comes from wanting to do something I'm not sure I'm even capable of doing. That's great. It takes people a long time to get to that point in their life. That humbling point where you're humbled by yourself. You look at the things you're doing and you're just like, man, I don't know anything. Like there's so much more I could be doing, but a lot of people don't have that drive to push past the, oh, I don't know. A lot of people are like, I don't know how to do that. So I'm not going to do it. The idea of pushing yourself to learn and get better and say, I don't know how to do this yet. You know, the yet yeah. is the big part. It's like Exactly, I'm, yeah. <laughs> that was another thing. All the kinetic stuff you were doing, I could tell yeah. you were really into the kinetic side. You know, a lot of your mm, sculptures yeah. have movement in them. And absolutely, yeah. You know, that you kind of put on an engineer cap. I've never really understood the engineer welder disconnect that everybody talks about, but you know, that's that's because I'm newer into the industry, but everybody has this big disconnect. I think the disconnect comes mostly from when you're working in the industry and I haven't done this. So, you know, forgive me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of people who have, it boils down to here's what an engineer says they want. Here's what a welder says is capable or possible. And so you have a disconnect because you have an engineer saying, this is what we want and this is possible and you have a welder saying you're book smart you're in the books you're not paying attention to what is actually being done here and you're telling me to do something that we don't do or that that isn't possible for what we're doing and so it becomes like a personal like affront to one another yeah. so you have an engineer telling you to do something a certain way and you have a welder saying not only do i know a better way to do that because you don't do this at all you don't even understand that what you're asking for isn't even possible but here's a better way of doing that and then the engineer saying no i know more because i have a degree in engineering yeah. so i think that's the disconnect that you see is because of the way the companies are set up like a capitalistic kind of situation in that point but when it comes to somebody who's trying to figure things out for themselves as they're also fabricating it's a totally different world because when you are engineer and fabricator there isn't that butt of heads i think it's literally just a company setup kind of situation that that people run into which might be a little bit more difficult to see if you're not inside that situation people would say it's like an engineer trying to talk you know i'm like i don't i don't yeah. know what you're talking about you know it's yeah like, yeah yeah just 
just like butting heads like i know what's best like no i know what's best no i know what's best <laughs> it's like we both know yeah. okay we both know what's best let's just yeah. get this yeah. done yeah Let's let's figure out a way to do this. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's really what it boils down to, you know, even like a classist situation, if you want to look at it that way, you know, when you have somebody who's getting paid more than you telling you to do something a way that you know, isn't the right way to do it. And then you tell them, Hey, look, there's a better way of doing this. And they go, no, 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 I know. Yeah. Because I'm the one who gets paid more. That's going to rub someone the wrong way. Like it's unavoidable. So that's, I'm glad I haven't had to deal with that, but unfortunately a lot of people do. Yeah. yeah. Well, then everyone should just be sculptors, you know? It you would get... be best, yes. <laughs> But then we'd have no bridges. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they would just, they yeah. would be beautiful uh, though. They would be beautiful bridges. <laughs> They'd be beautiful buildings. <laughs> the biggest thing is just like letting go of the ego. It's not an easy thing to do, especially on a work site. Yeah. Anybody who's ever done anything on a work site, even if you're just roofing a house, egos get in the way, you know, and that's something that people need to be able to let go of. Because if you can't, then it's easy to get lost and not be able to really come together on the, the greater good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier to do within your own mind than within a group of people. Ego is the enemy of collaboration. That's what I, I like to say, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like yeah. <laughs> in the songwriting world, I lived in Nashville for five years and co-writing is huge in Nashville. Like people go and just write songs together all the time. And I would, I would try to yeah. partake, but my ego, yeah. my ego yes. did not let me partake because it was like, no, yeah. this is how it should uh, sound. This is what oh, the words yeah. should be. It's, yeah. You've, you've jumped off on a totally wrong key. Like we got to stick to, yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I get it. And like, it was a humbling experience, you know, getting older, you, you're just like, oh man, I had such an opportunity if I just would have gotten out of my own way. Yeah. I, that's, that's definitely a thing. Sure. What is your workflow when you start sculpting something? Basically, like I was saying before, it's a lot of just uh, letting it build itself. So as I start to build something, I'll start with an idea, a concept. It's like, okay, this is kind of what I want to build. This is why I want to build it. And then once I start to build it, it's just a matter of looking at it and going, okay, it looks this way and looks that way. It has something here and then letting it take whatever direction it wants to take. So this looks like it should be a little more like this, even though I thought it should be like that. So I'll build it like this. And then just continuing that process until you end up with something that you're proud of. It's actually something that I really enjoy. So more more than getting stuck, less than getting stuck, I suppose <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's part of the process. Yeah. You know, just like letting something show you what it wants to be and allowing yourself to change what it is that you thought you were going to build until you build what it is that you actually want to build. It's funny that you say that because I have a tattoo that says, let the words write themselves, because that's like my yeah. philosophy on writing. Yeah. And yeah. the idea of, you know, it's like, let it build itself. Let it, You yeah. got to let that metal tell you what it wants to be. Yeah. That's that's yeah. where I get trapped when I've thought about getting into sculpture and just trying to do sculptures. And the thing that traps me is I don't let the metal tell me what it wants to be. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to build a Christmas tree. And then I just start going and. It just gets out of control because I just keep adding too much. How do you keep the reins on yourself when you're sculpting? Oh, I don't. You don't? No. You just let no, it go? No, you never should. Yeah, just let it go. Yeah. Let it go. And then if you see something you don't like, cut that apart and do something different. But the biggest thing is like, don't put reins on yourself. Just let it be whatever it wants to be. Let yourself build whatever it is you want to build. If you start to make something and you go, oh, this looks like crap. This is terrible. <laughs> That's then a... chop off the parts that look like crap <laughs> and then change it up. But like never put reins on yourself. If you're putting reins on yourself at that point, you're literally like limiting yourself. You're limiting what it is that you're trying to do. And if you don't do that, if you don't limit yourself if you build whatever the hell it is you want to build as you're building it and watching it change that does more than one thing one it ends up creating something that you're proud of in the end but on top of that it shows you ways of getting from a to b that you hadn't necessarily thought of before one of the biggest things that was a takeaway from that show for me was having to do things in such a tight time constraint you, know, you have 10 hours to create something you know how you would create this if you had more time but you don't so like slap it together and just pray to god that it works and then when you see things work Working the way that you wanted them to, even if it's not the way you would have done it, it's like, okay, but wait a minute. Now, if I took that idea and I had more time and I went a totally different direction with the motion than I would have done before, I can create something that does something even better than what I would have tried to do before just because I found a new avenue simply because of that time constraint. You know, when we're talking about music, it's like, I heard somebody say one time, and I can't, I can't tell you who said this, but it was they were talking about the Beatles, and they said, if you had this band and they had this four-track recorder, and this 
this is what they were able to create. If you gave them all the technology that we have today, would they ever have created the things that they created? Like sometimes creativity comes out of the constraints that we're confined in because we go, this is what we have to work with. What can we build out of that? And through those constraints, that breeds creativity. I feel like I get my own way a lot of times when it comes to creative stuff. Even music. I've got out of my way, but, you know, mixing music and producing music is really easy to lose control. You know, you could go way too (laughs) far. But I I feel like that's the same thing I have with sculpting is that I it's not that I'm putting reins on my not trying to rein myself in. It's just getting to completion. I never feel like it's complete. You know, there could always be something more. It's always going to be a thing. Yeah. Never gonna go away. <laughs> well, how, how how do you get like how did you get comfortable with just being like I, if I only I had more time, but this is okay. I'm gonna live with this. Like I'm totally happy with this, even though there's 700 other things I would I would change. A lot of times it's not your choice. Like you know, talking about the show, you have 10 hours. You have to finish. This is done. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you want to do. It's done. Time's up. When you're doing a public sculpture, it's the same thing. It's like, this has to be done by this due date. So you figure out ways to try to get it done as fast as you can, however you can. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. When you hit that date, it's done. Yeah. And so a lot of it's forced. And that's actually, there's a lot that can be said about that as a good thing. Because one of the biggest problems for any artist, in my opinion, would be knowing when it's done. You know, there's so many times that you do something and you're like, oh, this is great. Oh, I'm going to add this. I'm going to add that. I'm going to change this. I'm going to shift this. And then by the time you're done doing all that and taking your time when you have it, you look at what you finished and you're like, it was better 20 steps ago. Yeah. But I just didn't know that that was when I should have stopped. So, yeah, with art, it's uh, it's a tricky thing. But you can be, uh, yeah, you can be rewarded just through the time constraints that you, you know, have placed upon you. And if you don't have any placed upon you, if it's something you're doing for yourself, maybe place those constraints upon yourself. Say, by this date, I'm going to have this done. And regardless, finish it by that date. Go, okay, this is my time frame. No one's actually buying this. I'm doing this for myself. But I'm going to say that by this date, it's going to be done. And then just finish it by that date, regardless of what you think about the product. Walk away from it at that point and then come back to it and look at it and actually take it in. Being able to know when that point is, is something that you're never going to know, but that's okay. Finding those points, leading those points, learning from those points, and then changing and growing from that point. It's all part of it. I feel like the whole writer's block or you get into these moments where you get stuck. I feel like that time limit, being under the pressure of the clock, I feel like for me, you know, I, I write songs as well. Like that's another one yeah. of my hats I wear and there's deadlines, you know, it's like you got it. Yeah. It's, it's due by this time. And once I started having deadlines with music, oh my goodness, it changed everything because I had, yeah. I have probably hundreds of songs that are half written, you know, but magically <laughs> if you have a deadline, they get yeah. written, like they get finished. Yeah. Like it is, <laughs> they, it's they done. You yeah. know? And, I have hundreds of art projects that are half finished. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so transitioning back into the welding world, I tutor at the college I went to to get my certificate. And right now, you know, the end of end of the semester, it's amazing how much progress someone can get if you're like, you have a week to finish these outcomes. You know, it's like, and um, miraculously, you know, people, (laughs) people are in that booth. They do not leave until they pass a position and then they go back in there. They do not leave until they pass the next one. It's crazy. Just time, time can make you money. I guess, is what it boils down to. You give yourself less time to do what you want to do in longer times, and you'll surprise yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you will. Always, yeah. So what's the future looking like? I know before we started diving into the episode, you were talking about bronze. You want to get more into working with bronze. Are you going to be welding, or is it going to be more casting? Both. A lot of times people don't really, they don't necessarily think about all the things that go into a bronze sculpture, but when you're making a bronze sculpture, you start out by sculpting it. So you're sculpting it out of some sort of filler material to give you like a base, and then you're building clay on top of that, unless you're making a small piece like the last one I just did where that was all clay but you're building a clay sculpture and then you're taking that and you're making a mold of it and then you're casting wax into that mold then you take that wax piece that you have and you dip that into a slurry and this is all i've learned all this through roger smith he runs michigan art castings the man is absolutely brilliant at this stuff he he started out as a taxidermist That's and awesome. then 
<laughs> yeah and he was he was doing taxidermy and loved the sculpting aspect of it and so he started getting into sculpting and then once he started sculpting like deers and fawns and all these beautiful things he was sending them out to foundries to cast and everything he was getting back he was like this isn't good enough i can see like seams i can see where this isn't right and so he kept sending out his works to different foundries and he just got frustrated he was like nobody is actually giving me the quality that I'm looking for in my work. So he decided and he didn't, he said he, he says this and if you talk to him today he'll still tell you the same thing. He says I never wanted to get into foundry work. But <laughs> Because he couldn't find anyone to do the casting work that he wanted, he actually started casting. And now he runs this company. And it's this small company here in Michigan. It's about an hour south of me. And yeah, it's Michigan Art Castings. His name's Roger Smith. And at this point, he's done things for the Smithsonian Museum because he does things that are like out of this world above and beyond what most bronze casting facilities would do. And so the fact that he's so close to me is amazing because I would have sought this guy out, even if he was in Italy or Rome or <laughs> same thing. But you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter where he would have been in the world. I would have went and found him. He could have been in China. It doesn't matter. Like I would have found this guy. Yeah. And he just happens to be an hour away from me. But he's a guy who started out as an artist who wanted something better in the end result of his product. And so like he's taught me so much about bronze casting but what he'll do is yeah he'll take in a lot of the same way that a lot of these people will you take your your clay model and you make a mold of it and then you'll fill that mold with wax and then you take that wax mold and you dip that into a slurry and then you pour sand over that slurry and you let that sit and there's a chemical reaction with the air that'll change the color of it and that's how you know that it's dry enough to go on to the next step but you'll still do so many steps within that section so it's like okay we'll dip it again put more sand on it then move on to the next section which is a, a heavier slurry a more coarse sand and we'll work our way up and you're building up this ceramic shell essentially around this wax mold and then you put that in a kiln after like a week of doing these dips and when you put it in the kiln it turns the outer shell into a ceramic and melts the wax out which leaves you with this negative space and so you then take that while it's glowing red hot out of the kiln put it in sand and then fill it with bronze to come up now that's how these latest pieces that i've been doing have been done because they're small enough to do that in one casting but with a lot of this bronze stuff with a lot of the issues that he was finding with the things that were coming back to him as well were essentially bronze isn't actually a solid bronze sculpture if you see like a sculpture of a guy who's like standing outside of a museum because he was the person who started the museum it's actually hollow it's only about a quarter of an inch thick so with a large sculpture like that you'll actually make separate molds of all these different aspects and sections of the sculpture and then put an inside to that and then you'll make a casting of that and you'll cast that in wax You'll cast that in bronze eventually, and then you'll take all those sections and you have to weld them together and then go through and chase all those welds so they don't exist to the point that when you put a chemical patina on it, you don't actually see the transition in color between where the weld is and where it isn't. So a good person you know, working in a bronze, somebody who actually knows what they're doing, can make that look like a seamless casting. So it looks like it's just one cast sculpture, but it's actually not only a hollow sculpture, but it has an internal structure of stainless steels so a lot of what comes together with doing this kind of work is is a lot of welding and i've been learning a lot about that as well but i have a lot a lot more to learn and it goes both ways like that's one of the things that i love about roger is the reason that he's has stuff in the smithsonian the reason that he's doing the things that he's doing is because he'll even ask me questions he'll say hey you have more welding experience than i do if i'm doing this what do you recommend for this? And he's asking that of somebody who's never even tried to TIG weld bronze. Yeah. But he just knows that I have more experience in welding. So he, you know, and then he'll go different ways and jump down different routes and continue asking questions because he's always looking for a better way to do something than the way that it's being done. And that's what pushes somebody between that difference of good and great. You know, if you just get stuck in a way where it's like, this is how we do it and we get it done and it's done. Or if you go, this is how we do it and we get it done. But what if we try to make it a little better? How do we make it better? That's that difference. And so I'm honored, like more than honored. Like if he asks me any kind of opinion <laughs> about anything that he's doing, I'm like, you have things in the Smithsonian. You're asking my opinion on fabrication. Like that's an honor to me.
that circles back to the whole engineer welder thing that the conversation we were having where you have different worlds that you are experts in he comes as an expert in the bronze casting and foundry work and you come Mm. with all this welding knowledge and your egos didn't get in the way where you can ask for help you know it's like yeah it's that whole you can't work with someone unless you're open to what they have to bring to the table. Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. Yeah. When I go to his place, my mind melts. Like I'm just like, what what can you show me? What do you have to show me? Like, what are you doing? What are you working on? How are you doing it? It blows my mind. And so it's really nice to find somebody of like mind, you know, because when you're asking somebody all these questions and then they turn around and ask you questions, it makes you realize how many questions you've been asking. And it feels like, oh, this is somebody who's doing what I'm doing. This is somebody who wants to know more than they could possibly know. And if they can't get it from you, they'll find someone else they can get it from. But they want to ask whoever's there in front of them. And it's a wonderful thing to meet somebody of like mind. And that's that's Roger in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. This doing this bronze work, it's a whole way of stepping forward for me. Again, like I was saying before, I want to constantly try to do something I haven't done before. And I want to turn my bronze work not only into pieces that are, you know, like I'm doing these as ways of not only expressing myself, but also making things that might be, you know, affordable to people as opposed to getting a commission piece. But I also want to use this as a way to bridge the gap between the things that I want to be doing. So I do a lot of kinetic work, but it doesn't necessarily pay the bills, but I don't really care about that so much like nobody gets to the end of the life and is excited because they kept the bills paid like as long as you're able to do what you love to do who cares about any of the rest and so what i really want to do is i want to tie that kinetic work that i do into the bronze work so i want to be able to create something of like a very beautifully sculpted fine art that is also tied into the kinetic work that I do. And and this is just like a step in that direction for me. So I'm going to continue to do limited edition series pieces and sell them to make money to like fund the things that I actually want to do and then start to build pieces that are beautifully sculpted and a mix of stainless steel and bronze and iron and all the things that I that I love about what I do, but just do it in a way that brings that all together. I'm excited to see where you take that just because what you do right now, you're innovating on what you already are innovating. You know, it's like your your, your sculptures <laughs> yeah. are awesome. Adding another tool into your belt, you know, so to say with working with bronze, it's only going to make you more valuable in the future. And I feel like, you know, welders, fabricators, a lot of people think they, oh, I learned, I learned how to MIG weld. I learned how to TIG weld and I learned how to stick weld. I'm a welder. That's all I'll ever need to know, you know, but there's all these different alloys and processes and special processes, you know, if you're a welder and you think you know it all, you're wrong because you should constantly keep trying to get better and keep innovating the skills you have as a welder, not just, oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about even something like welding, because I mean, welding, you're you're literally just taking two parent materials and you're putting them together. So you're you're not just like, you're not sticking them together with glue. You're actually melting the parent materials and you're creating this seam between the two. But on top of that, in doing that, I mean, one, it's like, it feels very elemental. It's like, really, it's, it feels great. (laughs) making anything out of metal, whether you're forging or welding or anything. It's like, oh my God, I'm doing this. And it's I felt that same way since I was 15, the first time I ever you know, tried to weld anything together. But when you look at somebody who's like Sean, like Dabs, Dabs Wellington, like mm-hmm. you look at the that this man's creating, you know, with a welder and he's drawing these pictures with his weld beads. And it's like that you don't get that from being satisfied with knowing how to stick two things together. Somebody can get there. Yeah, you can learn how to take weld. You can learn how to stick weld. You can learn how to make weld. And now you know how to weld and you can go to a job and do the same welds over and over every day. But with somebody like that, it's like, no, I want to know how to do this better than I need to know how to do this. I want to be able to do something that I don't necessarily need to know how to do, but I just want to know how to do it because I want to know how to do it. And you have somebody who can TIG weld at that level, at that caliber. Like, I can't TIG weld like dabs. Like, I don't know anyone again. <laughs> the whole thing is like, that's somebody pushing that envelope, somebody who wants to know more. And that makes somebody like me go like, I want to go and hang out with dabs and learn how to TIG weld yeah. from this person. Because like this is like a whole nother level that most people don't reach because there's no need to reach that point if you're just doing production work. But it isn't about just doing production work. It's about literally going, how do I do better at the thing that I'm doing? And if you ever feel like you are doing the best that you possibly can, at that point, you're just settling for where you've landed. But if you never settle, if you're always trying to push for something better, there is literally no limit to what you're capable of. And a lot of people don't realize that. Our parents tell us all the time when we're kids, they say, you can do anything you 
you want with your life, you know, but when you have someone in your life, when you're little, who actually makes you believe that you can do anything you want to do, then it makes you start to ask yourself, well, what is it that I actually want to do? And once you have that answer and you start chasing that, you can chase that the rest of your life. And that's just, there's something beautiful about that. What would be your biggest tips or advice of getting into it? Like, how do you progress? My biggest tip would be start out with a decent welder. When I started welding, it was with like a really, it was a, it was a bad welder. Like it was a Campbell Housefield, like farmhand welder that I put on layaway at Tractor Supply when I was like 16. And I had welded with, a, you know, some equipment at a school getting started. It was actually like after school, I'd go in and I asked the, uh, the welding instructor at the school, like, hey, if I come in after school, can I use the equipment? And he allowed me to, but I was still trying to figure it out at that point. I didn't know how to weld, even though I told him I could. Yeah. <laughs> it was literally just to get access to the equipment. But, but once I started doing it on my own and I got this welder, I was like, okay, I've got my own welder. I can weld. And then I kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. I kept having problems and honestly thought that I was just a really bad welder. And it took me so long to get a decent bead with this welder that by the time I got my hands on a decent welder, I realized, oh, it wasn't me. It was the machine. It wasn't me <laughs> all along. But I'd learned a lot at that point. But still, it's not a great way to learn. If you can start out with a good enough welder where you're getting a good consistent arc and you're getting a good puddle, like that's the best way to start. It doesn't have to be a million dollar welder. It doesn't have to be the greatest thing in the world, but just don't start with the, the bottom of the barrel. And there's even some good welders that you can get from Harbor Freight that, that are decent. Look at reviews, look at things like that, but start with something decent. If you can get somebody, like if somebody has like a nice welder, like a Lincoln, and you can go and use their equipment, go and use their equipment and start there, learn there. Because if you're learning with a decent piece of equipment, it'll help out a lot. That's a big start. The other bit of advice I would give from that point would be, even if you're starting with a good piece of equipment, you still have to know what you're doing. So at that point, my advice would be watch your puddle. You know, a lot of times people don't necessarily think about what it is they're doing. They're just looking at the process and thinking like, okay, I'm sticking this to that and getting this done. But when you're welding, again, you're melting these two parent materials. Generally, unless you're doing like an oxy, you know, fuel mixture, like type welding with a torch, you're typically welding with an arc. So you're using electricity to weld. So you're, you're using an electric current to melt these two parent materials and you're using a filler material whether that's TIG welding or MIG welding and as you're adding that material you're also trying to blend that filler material into your parent materials as they melt. So watch that puddle. Don't worry about how fast you're going. Don't worry about keeping a consistent flow. Don't worry about any of the other things. Just watch the puddle. The puddle will tell you what to do. If you need to move a little faster, your puddle will tell you that. If you need to move a little slower, your puddle will tell you that. Just look at the puddle and then try to figure out what you need to do to that puddle as you're moving forward. And once you start to get that feel down for what you're doing with your material and with your machine, then from there, don't actually look at what you're welding look just in front of it so if you're looking just in front of your weld and then feeling it out once you have a feel for what that is once you know what your puddle's doing that will give you a much more consistent bead and that's uh i would say over the years from welding that would be the best advice i could give so don't start off welding with a car battery and a couple jump cables. I mean, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you can. It can be done. You, can. you just you might can. not get the. You might not have the it, arc it, force it, you're looking for. You know, <laughs> it just might take you a little longer to get to a good bead, but but you you might learn a lot more along the way if you have to. Sure. <laughs> well, man, I've had a wonderful chat. Anytime you ever want to chat, I'm 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 always down. Uh, I yeah, just, back at you, man. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your you wisdom. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, shoot me a message on the Weld app and let me know what kind of topics or people you would like me to have on in future episodes. Also, if you're trying to score some new equipment and swag, every month there's a mystery box of surprises given away to a lucky premium member, so make sure you don't miss out. I'm Bo Wigington, and until next week, we'll see you out there.